Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 271. And what is going on? It's a Monday. I don't, I don't know if I've ever put out a Distraction Pieces on a Monday, but this week is a special Monday. It's March Madness, you know, I'm putting out three podcasts this week. But more than that, it's the launch on NBC in America of a show I've been working on for some time called Debris. Um, or debris, depending on how you pronounce it. Um, yeah, and I'm really excited. So if you're in America and you can get NBC or any of the countries that kind of have their equivalents of that, then it starts at 10pm and it'll be every Monday. If you're not, then ING, is it ING or IGN? IGN on their YouTube page have put up the first 15 minutes for free to watch as a little preview. So um, if you're outside of America or of anywhere that can actually watch the show. There will be UK release details to come um, at time of recording. They're not confirmed, but they are being negotiated. I've been assured they are being discussed. But you can watch the first 15 minutes, which involve me. So if you're curious, and it's a show all about mystery and curiosity, then go and give that a look. Um, I will have tweeted it. And Instagrammed it. I'm not on Facebook anymore. That's big news. I've got rid of my Facebook. I've not got rid of it. It's up. It, it will remain there as an archive. It just won't have anything new added. I've deleted the apps. I'm trying to cut down on my social media in general. At the moment, it's Instagram and Twitter. Twitter might be next to go, but it's tough because that's the first one I was I was on really after MySpace. Um, but yeah, anyway, I, I did a I did a post on it, it's relevant to this because as I was leaving the page up, I thought I'll do a last post and do kind of a few bullet points of of my career up to now. And I put you know angles, which is the album that we're here to discuss today. Uh, I put the release of that. I put the release of my solo record, distraction pieces. I put m- mine and Dan's last gig. Blah, 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 blah. And before I deleted the apps, I gave it, it 24 hours to, to just have a bit of a look th- th- through and see people's comments. Because there's been some great interactions on there over the years. And so many people seem to have just been hearing that I've stopped making music. <laughs> Which shows how rubbish um, the reach of social media can be and the algorithms and whatever else. I'm not too, too fussed about any of that. Again, anytime I mention any of it, uh, people go, go oh, moaning about. I'm not moaning about it. It's just it's it's amusing that there's a load of people going, oh, can't believe you're leaving Facebook and you've stopped making music. So no, 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 stop making music. It was like uh, six years ago. I've been posting on here <laughs> several times a week since then about all the other stuff I'm doing. But there we go. Um, but yeah, so I posted on there and it, I gave some breakdowns. But that's kind of what this week's about as well because I'm doing three different behind the album episodes if you're a regular listener you'll know i did a a no commercial breaks one and a distraction pieces one last year i think i originally recorded these because i knew i was going away to film for several months and i wasn't sure if i'd have time to record podcasts turns out in a pandemic you have loads of time to record podcasts so i hadn't had to use them in emergency so i thought i'll put them all out in one week as a little a mini series um this is a a long intro. The other intros will be shorter, I, I promise, in, as the week goes on. 
things I want to kind of tell you beforehand, though, is whilst I stopped making music all those years ago, Dan Lissac didn't. He's making amazing music, and loads of it is over on Patreon. I think he's also, he was talking about putting some, uploading a few of our, uh, our live recordings onto Patreon, because he's got a few of them. Um, and he sent me one the other day because it was a track that we'd performed that I have no knowledge of ever learning those lyrics, particularly to a level of performing them live. It's a song that never got released or anything. I don't think. Oh, I don't know. But yeah, check out Dan Lassac's music. If this if this episode gives you a hit of nostalgia, go and enjoy all the stuff that he's been creating in recent times. Loads of it is on Spotify. The way he normally does it, I believe, is he, he does Bandcamp for a certain amount of time. And then after a certain amount of time, it will go over to your major other major platforms that don't pay people so much. So, yeah. But again, a great way to keep up with everything he's doing is Patreon. Uh, I recommend you head over there and give it all a look. The dude is still an absolute don. And as you will hear from, I think it was this episode, we were having a little... text just before I was, I was recording this again these are very much just my side of of my memories of making the records of what the lyrics meant I did these with as I said with my two solo records and they went down well so I thought I'll do the Lissac versus Pip ones um obviously I've also had Dan Lissac on several times twice so you can go and find those episodes as well oh I'll tell you something else I want to mention it's it's music related there's a group called and it's again i don't work for anyone here there's a group called there's a rapper rap group rap collective rap team called wheelchair sports camp i've been bumping them for a minute i got into them from my man b dolan who's going to come back on the podcast soon and tell you about the craziness he's been going through but they've got a new single called yes i'm a mess and it is my tune of the decade at the moment go and watch the YouTube video. Before we even start on this, press pause and go on YouTube and type yes with two S's. Yes, I'm a mess. And maybe search wheelchair sports camp. I don't know. But honestly, it's a bop. I'm feeling it so much. I can't get it out of my head. So there's a little current music to throw in to recommend before the upcoming Nostalgia Fest. But for now, this is episode 371 of the Distraction Pieces podcast and it's angles behind the album or behind the record. I can't remember what I called it. It's it's all about the the album angles from Dan Lissac versus Scroobius Pip. All right, I'll see you in a bit. Okay, here we are. I've had to uh, restart this recording three times, ironically, because I'm currently texting the one Mr. Dan Lassac, um about his podcast and his plans for falling forward, going forward, and a few other bits that we're just chatting about and catching up on. But I'm, I'm, I'm basically, what's going to happen now, it's the same as I did with the No Commercial Breaks episode and the Distraction Pieces, the album um, episode, the Behind the Album ones, on the Distraction Pieces podcast, it's confusing. I'm just going to s- sit down and go through Angles, the album that kind of 
changed it all for me, not for the world, maybe for, for, for one or two of you. It might have had some kind of impact, but um, it certainly changed it all for me. I'm just going to go through, play the starts of some of the tracks and have a bit of a think. I've not, as I said, I've not prepped anything. I've not got an agenda of what I want to tell you, but I'm just going to play bits because it's another one. As I said on the other two, I don't, I don't listen to my music. So I stopped touring six years ago now, five or six years ago, I stopped playing live. So those were the last times I heard any of these songs. And if they're songs that we didn't play live, it's been even longer. So yeah, that's kind of of where it's going to be. A little bit of history and and backstory. Me and Dan had worked together in HMV. A lot of people know this. I've had Dan on the podcast twice, but we'd worked together in HMV. And when I was doing my Relying on the Kindness of Strangers tour off the back of No Commercial Breaks, I went and played for Dan at a a night he put on in in Reading. And he remixed a few of my tracks. And Dan Lassac versus Scroobius Pip started as just a MySpace page to host the remixes he'd done of my tracks. So, um, yeah, we then started to make songs together. The first one we properly did together that wasn't a beat that Dan had already made or I guess, no, I'd already started working on it as a spoken word. But the the original collaborations were either Dan took something I'd already written and made a new beat or something I'd already written and I wrapped it over one of his existing beats. So the first proper collaboration was A Vow Shall Always Kill, and that went crazy and got in the top top 40. So we went around all the labels, and I guess the starting point is we signed for two singles, no, three, yeah, two singles on Lex Records. So all we'd signed was for singles, so we were still talking to people about the album, but A Vow Shall Always Kill and the beat that my heart skipped. Was that on Lex as well? Or was it only? Yeah, that was the two that were on Lex. Um, so the beat that my heart skipped is the opening track. So I've got this, I'm playing this on, I've got my little Sonos Move speaker on the other side of my desk so that it's not too blaring. So I'm just going to play a bit. I'm not plugging it in, so you've got it as kind of an in-the-room sound. So yeah, here we go. I ain't going to take it no more. I ain't going to take it no more. I ain't gonna stand idly by while the bridal reply of a marriage of styles is yeah, but what's their demographic? I believe I believe this. I'm pausing it there. I'll continue. I believe this was recorded at. I mean, it was a secret, I think, but I believe the original audio of this was at a, an XFM gig that we did f- for John K- Kennedy. But yeah, let's let's continue. I ain't gonna take it no more. I ain't gonna take it no more. I ain't gonna stand idly by with a tight and while inside we all cry out for something new. I ain't gonna take it no more. I ain't gonna take it no more. Soulless music, artless lyrics. I mean, I should mention as well, I'd written this spoken word kind of opener based on us going round to labels, essentially, because it was a really weird one that we expected all the major labels to be shit but have money and all the indies to be great, but not have money. And we found a real mixture of both along the way. It was an indie who kind of wanted us. Their idea was that they wanted me to be the next Kano. And again, I, I fucking adore Kano, but I'm I'm nothing like him. And it was one of the majors who sat down and kind of said, look, the reference in, in this song, I love that. That's referencing this track and things like that and got all the references. 
but it was still a kind of a there was always a we don't know where you sit because no one was making music like we were making at that point again thou shout was the one that blew up and got in the charts but that's like a four minute list poem over a electro beat electronic beat so yeah it was a weird one but um i wrote this spoken word bit as kind of an intro to us as sets and it became our opener for for years to come as did the whole song Goalless movements, heartless gimmicks, controlled and clueless, careers last in a minute. If this is the big life, well, I ain't looking to live it. We ain't pushing the boundaries, we're blowing them up. We ain't trying to expand the scene, we want the scene to erupt. So make some room on the floor and somebody bolt the doors, because tonight, we ain't seeking applause. Tonight, well, gee, just want to have some good new fashion fun, y'all. Incidentally, I hate the way I sound in that bit. But I love the way this beat sounds. This intro's longer than I remembered. There we go. And that's, interestingly, that's kind of the first song that got A&R'd a little bit. And it's weird because, it, again, this is loose memories. I'm sure Dan could remember it clearer. But um, I remember when we originally this song just started straight with my long kind of every now and then I cower and I tried and, and I don't even know the words. Every now and then I cower and I, I don't know. Let's play it. <laughs> I'll turn it, it down a bit. Every now and then I cow and I need to find empowerment, that's it. Yeah, so originally, I think it just went from that rant into the first verse. And I say A&R'd, the guys at Lex kind of had some input, but I'm I'm pretty sure, if I remember rightly, it was more D- Dan saying, look, we should change this up a bit, because it's a bit intense. Like, Thou Shout was just one long rant, <laughs> and this kind of started as, as, as one long rant. So I think it was more the guys fr- from Lex backing up Dan's thought that we need to break it up a bit and have a breather. Because again, particularly at that point, I was just like, I've written a million s- syllables. I'm just going to do them all in a row. <laughs> um, and that's intense. So it's the reason it started with the intro and the the bomb-bomb hook, and then had that every now and then I cow a bit into the chorus of, this is the beat that my heart skipped when we, when we first met. And then into essentially the first verse after that. I guess it's the second verse, but but I always saw the first bit as an intro. But then we've got a spoken word intro. (laughs) So it's mighty confusing. But but yeah, that was, as I said, that was the first time 
we were looking more at, um hang on i need to, to pause this because i've got an incoming video call from uh the best actor in the world Stephen graham i'm going to pause and take this call and then i'll come back hang on and we're back in the room um sorry about that just catching up with my celebrity friends in my new line of business now um yeah so that was yeah that was the beat of my heart skip that did it was a really important song for us regardless of career me and dan are both people who particularly at that point probably had a lot of self-doubt that we didn't talk about publicly partly because we didn't expect our shout to go the way it did um i'll talk about Thou shout more later obviously but um it went crazy and there's always that panic of, right, well, I don't know if we can do anything else. Um, it's, it's similar with, like, we we made the whole album b- before we started, or the bulk of the album before we started agreeing t- 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 to meet labels and stuff like that. Because we wanted to know that we can do, you know, a whole record and that we've not just got this, this one song and then all the rest is going to come out. Because Thou Shout doesn't sound like most of the other stuff that we've made, like ever. So the fear was we've not got other stuff that people like. So the fact that Beat Them A Heart Skipped became as much of a fan favourite. As I said, we started every gig with that for years, for, for, for the bulk of our career, until Stunner. Stunner became the new opener, I think. But we'd start either with me walking out on stage and doing that spoken word bit and then Dan dropping the beat or just Dan coming out and, and dropping the beat. And us, us going into it all. So, yeah, it's kind of a really important one because of that. And speaking of important ones, let's move on to the next track, Development. I think if this guitar was by Ali McNeil-Brown, a.k.a. Yilla, who I'd done a track with, and he produced... We recorded all my vocals and bits of this album in his studio at his dad's house. Oh, I ain't listened to this in years. This is this is nice. Anyway, that's kind of you get the idea, right? That track was interesting because it's called D- Development because it's a track that developed over my career up till that point. So originally, I think originally I. The first thing I ever recorded was called Screw Brat, and 76 has got a copy of it, I think. In fact, he should upload it at some point. I've not got it anywhere. And it was me beatboxing into a loop pedal and rapping over the top. And I think the first verse of this was the first thing I ever did. And then I did a version of it on No Commercial Breaks, where I decided I started the second verse and then changed it. And then we did that on here as well. So it was that kind of song that, yeah, it's development. It wasn't, as I said, originally it was called Screw Rap because <laughs> it was just the first thing I'd rapped and I'm Scroob. So then, yeah, to 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 build it all the way along onto this record was um, was good fun. Possession is nine tenths, but we possess my invents to filter the rhyme scent from deep down inside, hence the precision and time in essential to rhyming. If you wish to pierce the cerebral lining, Image is nothing, imagination is everything. Is there anything you wear that's more important than what you think? I think not, as I bump a sop, cruise to Herbie Hancock and fucking rock out with snot. 
like a lot of my stuff, I wrote it. I wrote that original bit when I, I talked about this on the No Commercial Breaks one, so I won't go over it loads. But when I was trying to live in Amsterdam, um, and then when I returned there on a holiday after failing to live there, the Aesop referenced is Aesop Rock. Herbie Hancock is Herbie Hancock, and Snot is the hardcore band Snot. And yeah, it was good early on. I mean, it comes up again in Thou Shout, but I, I felt it important early on to get some some references in because I th- I like to wear my influences on my sleeve, and I wanted to be clear off the get go that I was a little punk kid and I was a little metal kid, and I was a little hardcore kid and I was a little rap kid, and then I got into jazz and stuff like that a lot of the the jazz and a lot of the variations of of, of, of rap even all came when i was working at hmv lakeside with with dan lasac with 76 with ross lawson with 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 alan short it's all the people who worked on no commercial breaks and yeah let's move on to the next one because we need to we're, we're, we're a quarter of an hour in and there's more songs on this album than I realised. There's a weight over me today Something I have to say Love you too much to leave Don't like you enough to stay Now, I'm going to pause this for a second because when this album came out, obviously it was our debut and I got a lot of love for my lyrics, which is... Is is lovely, largely because of angles left from God to Man, Magician's Assistant, Tommy C, stuff like that. And Look for the Woman is one of my favourite b- bits of writing on my own because I really was pleased with the flow and the syllable kind of bouncing around. But I would argue the best singular lyric on the album is oh, There's a Weight Over Me Today, Something I Have to Say, I Love You Too Much to Leave, Don't Like You Enough to Stay. And that was written by and sung by, as you heard, by Dan Lassac. And it's amazing. It's a weird one, this, because he sent me the beat with the hook and I wrote my verse, but I refused to send it to him because he was in a relationship at the time that was rocky. That's why he wrote that hook. And I didn't want... I didn't write the verse about his relationship. I wrote the verse about... As I've said before, I generally write... I don't write about a specific thing. I wrote the verse about numerous different relationships I'd had but I didn't want him to hear my vocal and think it was in any way advice on what he should do in this relationship um and he probably wouldn't have but I was just I don't want to have that influence a negative influence or a positive influence he ended up ending the relationship uh moving on to another one that was with an amazing um woman um that ended in the end as well but I'm a big fan of all the people Dan's been in relationships with, he's 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 been lucky enough to meet some really amazing people. Anyway, this isn't the behind Dan Lassac episode. This is behind him. But yeah, I refused. He kept saying, "Have you got that vocal?" I was like, "Nope, nope." And I'd I'd written it. I wrote it almost as soon as I heard it, or I started working on the on the pattern. But I was like, "No, you you can't have it because I didn't want to influence things." And then as I said that relationship fell apart and I felt comfortable going, here you go, here's, here's what I came up with. So let's have a little bit of a listen to more of it. Cause I... Oh, there's another story to, to, to this, actually. My head's in a mess and I'm stressed, but I guess it's a test in the quest for 
So there we go. That's that. That's look for another story that came up was the original, the original version of this, and it changed a bit. But but we had a manager at the time, and the original version of this, he really offended us all and it was it was the writing on the wall for what was to come we didn't stick with him for that long but dan sent me this and the original version was a bit cleaner a bit a bit less dan lasac but i still thought it was great and it blew me away and we sent it after the back and forth of not returning it we sent it to our manager and he came back saying i'm not sure if this is a test or not um because he didn't like it at all. He thought it was a cheesy pop, pop song. And number one, I don't think there's anything wrong with pop. Pop sh- shouldn't be a dirty word. But yeah, he thought it was kind of, you know, Thou Shout and Beat Them My Heart Skipped were these kind of, didn't sound like anything else out there, I guess. I was going to say other things, but it's all subjective. But didn't sound like anything else out there and felt like it had that new edge of some sort. And he felt that this was just a typical polished pop song but i passionately disagreed but i think it hit dan a bit because it was partly on the production side i think he said it felt like it was e17 or something which again that's quite offensive um with all the the greatest respect to e17 but feedback is feedback take the take the note Dan did go away and play with it a bit, and he did, he came back with one version that was just this glitchy. It went too far in the other direction, and I kind of remember discussing with Dan. I was like, "Look, I get what the manager's saying, but I also I love the track, and we shouldn't be shy of doing what we feel is right." If if Dan had made it with the thought of "Here's our pop song," then that'd be different. But he hadn't, so we kind of we found a middle ground in between the two. I think it was the changing of them drums and the kind of repetitions on them that I love. So, yeah, that almost got thrown out altogether. Also almost started off as an even poppier kind of version of it and then almost became some weird glitchy thing when it it's not meant to be. As you hear on the, the delivery of the vocal on this, it's the s- softest vocal I think I... I did. So yeah, I keep looking at how far we're in and how many songs are on the album. There's a lot of songs on the album. A few of them I'll fly through though. Let's go on to this one. I have no memory of this start. Is this how it starts or is my... Yeah, it is. I generally wondered if something was playing up. I remember it now. Because because we never used to, to play this live, I've probably not heard this track in something like 10 years. Because the album it came out in 2008. Oh, this is a good beat. I remember why now. Hang on. Well, that's quite a soft delivery. You know, hearing that now, I'd say I feel the vocal could do with being higher. But at the time, 
I would have thought the exact opposite. I always wanted the vocal to be really in in the mix. But yeah. Um that track came about. Again, it was first it was one of our early MySpace tracks because Dan had a track on his Le Sac Sayer album, which I adore. That's one of my favourite beat albums of all time. It's rare. Um it came the, the original release, it came in a a, a, a jean pocket. So basically, a jean pocket like, happens to be the, the size of a CD. So he'd cut the back pocket off of a load of jeans. So you've got the bit that would be, would be on your bum and the pocket. So all you've got is a gap at the top. And put the CD in there, you'd get some free bits. And it was amazing. And that was a beat on there called Rapper's B. Now, Dan had liked a song on on No Commercial Breaks called At All. And... I'd said to him, look, I like that rapper's beat. Do you mind if I try something over it? And what I tried over it was the the lyrics to At All. It changed the tempo of it and the flow of it, but because At All was like this fast punk song. Boom, 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 boom. What do you mean? Keep it real. Can someone please explain when reality is just like interpreted by your brain? And if mine and your perceptions ain't one and the same, which one of us is normal and which one is insane? I don't know the rest of the words, but it was that kind of... Doo, doo, doo. I nicked a drum beat of a Peaches track and just looped it. Um, we talk about that on the No Commercial Breaks episode. Um, but yeah, I tried it over this track because I, I loved the beat. And that became Rapper's Battle. R- R- rapper's B and Atoll. Rapper's Battle. Yeah, and that's how that came about. But again, it wasn't a song we played live much in the early, in the first few years. We had fuck all songs, so we did play it live because we, we kind of, blew up instantly kind of thing not blew up instantly but we had more of an audience before we had a set (laughs) if that makes sense anyway going on to the next song the next one let's start it that was a reference to james blunt you're beautiful I'm such a sensitive soul. There you go, tits. Right, so, this is Tommy C. Again, it warms my heart that this became a fan favourite because it's so weird. And I came up with it. I remember laying in bed in my bedroom at my mum's house, which I still lived for all of this record and all of the, the next one, I think. And I came up with the idea of the life of Tommy Cooper being a metaphor for beauty and being a beautiful illustration of the idea of beauty. And yeah, I thought that's mad though. And I told Dan and Dan was like, that's fucking ridiculous that you're just going to tell the story of Tommy Cooper's life. Um, But I fancied it, man. And we made this track, the hook. Again, as I've said, I kind of pick things from everywhere. Weirdly, I've never told anyone. I only remembered when I heard it then who 
the hook was about, but it was about a previous relationship. I'm not going to name names, but if you've listened to the No Commercial Breaks one, it was the person that is, or one of three people referenced in the last track on No Commercial Breaks is the person I was referencing on that hook. And again, it was all kind of just spliced together. The hook was just about beauty because I'd made that that reference at the start of beauty and then I was going to to illustrate the beauty I was going to tell the story of comedian Tommy Cooper so it's fucking weird but it meant the world that people got into it and it became a favorite I spoke about it with the struggle on the distraction pieces episode because that was another one that was like a proper bonkers idea that shouldn't make any sense but worked and as said we put it on the album expecting it to be really ignored and it became a, a, a fan favourite and I used to perform it. I had a the desk I'd sit down at and pretend to be a news reader. Br- br- briefly, on, the, on one of our tours, we toured with a living room and we'd bought all this stuff from just charity shops and people would just bring stuff to gigs to donate. So our, our live set, set as in the stage set, was a living room. And there was a desk and I'd sit there and pretend to be a newsreader. And briefly, we managed to get a camera that would project me onto the TV there. But that didn't work for very long. But anyway, I'd I'd sit there and be a newsreader. And when I say that people have been talking about beauty, I'd move my notes and there was a picture of James Blunt. And I'd deliver it all there and we'd get praise for this, these creative live performances. But again, it's because we had an audience before we had a set. So this and Letter from God to Man, I'll get on to later, were both ones I'd pretended to read, but I wasn't pretending. I hadn't learnt them well enough to be confident doing them night after night. So I had a, I came up with a creative way, and Thou Shout, I had that in the Bible thing. I came up with creative ways to have the lyrics in front of me and read it and it still feel exciting and performative and passionate. So yeah, that's Tommy C. Let's move on. Incidentally, I hate every time I speak at the beginning of track. So I was cringing on Tommy C. Um, even the the beat of my heart skipped intro. But again, here I just a big fan apparently in that period of talking at the beginning of tracks. I mean, we don't have to. T- talk too much about this i spoke about it weirdly on the gets episode and the dizzy rascal episode because it's a rewrite of a fix up look sharp and i told the story on the on the, on the dizzy episode of him coming up to me at an airport and going you write that that hip-hop is art track and going yeah thinking is he gonna hug me or hit me and he just kind of gave me a fist bump and said yeah it's good i like it and yeah this was a cover of that. It, this and Letter from God to Man were reluctant on the side of Dan Lassac because <laughs> he's an amazing producer and he wanted to make his amazing beats. And on Letter from God to Man, he got two more. But on this one, it was kind of, can you recreate the fix-up look sharp beat? And he was like, all right, <laughs> if I have to. So we did that. And then we got the Billy Squires sample cleared and uh, the rest is history. This was, as I spoke about on both of those, this was seen as kind of anti- UK hip hop, but despite that intro, it's not. It's big enough, Dizzy Rascal, and it's saying, keep pushing things, keep trying to do things that are different. Because Grime blew up, 
and then it felt like everyone got in line behind Dizzy. Even though I can see that was an ignorant view at the time because there was a lot going on I just didn't know about. Um, but yeah, let's go on to the title track. I'd appreciate your input. That sounds like Bad Touch, doesn't it, by the, the Blood Hand Gang? It, w- it wouldn't have been intentional. Anyway, we don't need to hear it, but this was another one that was kind of a, a calling card track. Um, it was on my No Commercial Breaks album but it was made a million times better by Dan Lassac because he gave each person their own feel and kind of their own theme when we perform it live I'd change costumes in between the characters so I'd start off with I can't remember is it glasses on first and then a tie and then security hat and so on and so forth um and yeah I remember just uh, this was one of the early tracks I wrote in my genesis as a as a lyricist and i i was thinking again i spoke about it on the, on the no commercial breaks one so i won't bore you too much but i was thinking a lot of the films i like like at that point there was things like memento had blown up they didn't have linear narratives m night Shyamalan was probably starting to, to to fuck about with people's heads a bit they didn't have linear narratives let's yet songs seem to be Linear. I met this girl on Monday, took her for a drink on Tuesday, um, and it all kicked off. Um, so yeah, I wanted to write a song that had had twists and turns, that told a story from one perspective and maybe l- allowed the listener to make assumptions, and then another perspective, and then add another, and keep adding perspectives until those assumptions that you've made yourself are turned on their head a bit. Um, and that was the, the the idea there. That was the the mission. It's another dark. <laughs> miserable song but um incidentally at this point tell me c is about about death at this point we've got two tracks about death so a few more to come um i'll let I'll let's move on to letter from god to man because this is still if i was to do a top five songs i'm proud of oh this would be be in there um i'm not sure what else so far would be look for the woman maybe or beat them or tommy c I don't know, but this would definitely be in there. This is a letter from God to man. It says, hey there, how's it going? Long time no see. It didn't seem like you wanted me to be. Um, yeah, that one was, again, another kind of game changer for us because it wasn't a verse-chorus verse chorus thing. It was another one that wasn't really like anything else that was out there at the time, um, as far as I knew at least. And it came about because of... I was driving home from a spoken word gig. I'd drive into, into, into London three or four times a week at that point, if not more, to go to to open mics with three people there to get up and do my thing and try and get better um, and learn, develop, I guess. And I misheard 
I couldn't tell if someone had said curator or creator. And I started to go down a rabbit hole and started ignoring all the amazing spoken word that was on. I was looking at it, but in my mind, I was going curator, creator, and thinking of the creator of God. But then what if he was more of a, a curator and kind of just put things together and it's all kind of been, he's been miscredited as such and kind of awkwardly is like, yeah, yep, thanks. Yep, that was me. I I kind of did what you think I did. And I had a Catholic up, upbringing, so I had a lot of religious reference in my head. I wasn't into it at that point. I'm not into it now. I'm not particularly religious, but I'm not anti it either. And yeah, I think on the drive home, I had some Radiohead on and Planet Telex seemed like the perfect fit. Just the, the everything is broken bit. I think I tried to piece together because on my early stuff, I kind of pieced together beats i'd loop them and put them in a mixing desk and all these things i think i tried to piece together something using planet telex and i sent it to dan and he made in my opinion a fucking masterpiece um from another masterpiece and normally if you take a masterpiece and tear it apart you make a piece of shit (laughs) but what dan did was take a masterpiece and make another masterpiece in my opinion and we ended on that song for years and Dan would just get bigger and bigger. Part of the reason that we ended on it was Dan would take it off in that 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 big ending. Let's fast forward and get to Dan's big ending. That is vintage Dan Lassac, man. I, uh, part of the reason we'd put it at the end, and I don't think me and Dan ever particularly discussed it, but it was always a weird thing, right? Because it's Dan Lassac versus Scroobius Pip. There's, there's two of us in this thing, but there's no escape in the fact that if I'm a six foot four bloke with a big beard and I'm at the front, the attention is going to be on me a lot of the time. And I'm that's all right. I enjoyed it at times. I didn't at others, but I'm not saying I hated it. Um... But when there were bits where Dan was cutting out, because again, you've got to remember that we came into this because I was a Dan Lassac fan. <laughs> this is how this started. I genuinely think it started more because I was a Dan Lassac fan than because Dan was a Scroobius Pip fan. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'd, I'd watch him do his cut-up stuff and it was amazing. So in uh, within the set, when there'd be periods of him doing that, I got into the process of I'd find somewhere to s- sit down and watch like an excited dog. Because I was, I'd be sitting there nodding and like, yeah, he's fucking going in. But still, I've been at the front commanding people's attention on the lyrics. So even then, people were, I would feel I'm drawing attention. So the beauty of this being my favourite part of the set would mean I'm done. So I would leave the stage. So there was no way of watching me. I'd still stand side stage so I could watch and vibe out to it. Um, But I'd leave the stage to just, People could fucking appreciate what Dan does. Again, there was a period where people thought he was a DJ or whatever else, but no, he's doing all this live production and live triggering and drum machines, all live drum stuff. And it was amazing. And he'd take that into like all sorts of stuff. He'd take it into voodoo people. And I think he used to take it into super, super sharp, sharp shooter shooting um, and just all sorts of stuff. And it was 
Oh, it was so good. And that was my highlight of every set, weirdly. The bit where I wasn't on stage and the gig was over and I could just enjoy what Dan does best. And I think he's second to none, man. That's a prime example of classic Dan Lissac. And again, it was one that he reluctantly got to because it was using someone else's beat. And it almost didn't make it on the record because we were struggling to get clearance and we were getting close to the mark on the release. And... the label asked Dan to make a different beat that didn't have that sample, and he did, and we were both like, it's not the same. So we were discussing the idea of just not having it on the album and it just being a live thing or a bootleg or whatever else. Because it felt, well, I'd ra- if it's not there in its entirety, I'd rather it not be there. That everything is broken line was so key to the the feel of it all. So, yeah, there were serious discussions and again it's one of the songs that are most attached to us there were serious discussions of it not being on the record um but then john kennedy who i didn't mention earlier actually i'll go back to john kennedy in a minute he had radiohead in for a session on xfm now radio x formerly xfm and in an advert break or something he played it to the band and that had it and the management had kept saying yeah we're going to get around to it we need to decide blah 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 and yeah, he he essentially got it brought to the front of their of their, their their priorities, and it ended up being cleared. So that's pretty amazing. Um, not many people at that point, and I think still now, have had Radiohead samples cleared. So that meant a lot. But speaking of John Kennedy, this album was originally called Le Petit Mort, which is a French term of the little deaf and it's a french term that's used for orgasms and it's referred to as a little deaf because you have this little death in that moment um and we we liked it as a name and then pete and the pirates who dan knew quite well completely unrelated released their album and it was called little deaf and we were like oh we can't we can't call it that so we were scrambling for a name and one of the people that we asked was, was john kennedy because he had supported my demos, Dan's demos, all of our stuff together and all this. And he suggested Angles because he was like, it is a track that's unique on there, but but also it sums up the album. This isn't, you know, 12 of, the, of their shouts. It's an album that's got many different angles and many different tones and textures. So, yeah, we went for Angles and then for years had to correct people who thought that we had an album called Angels. Um, Let's go on to the next track, because again, it's another one that was important for me. (sighs) Love this, this, uh, this beat. It's tragic. You try to cut yourself in half, but this ain't magic. In fact, it's something far more dark and more dramatic. Self-harm. That's what they call it. Because it just... So we're back to to death and self harm. Um, this is another important one to to me, man. Because uh, interestingly, originally we were talking to Paloma Faith about c- c- collaborating on this track. Because I think I got the idea of of magician's assistant because she had a song about when she used to be a magician's assistant, and it kind of it was at one of her sh- shows. I think I was doing spoken word at one of her shows or something that kind of. It, again, it was that that that, that catalyst 
it's tragic you try to cut yourself in half, but this ain't magic. In fact, it's something far more dark and more dramatic. It was the catalyst of, of yeah, a song about self-harm and suicide. And it was it's a tough subject, man. Um, I had been in a relationship with someone who was a consistent self-harmer. So I had a lot of experience in that area. And I'd also, as we talked about on the No Commercial Breaks one and on loads of the podcasts, a mate of mine took his own life. And it was still quite fresh at that point and raw. So this was about that, was about looking... And again, it's going back to angles. It's about looking at trying to embody the different people affected and look at it from there opinion so it goes through the friends the parents and the the, the and the sibling and yeah it's a weird one man because i guess th- this is what spawned my l- long-term relationship with the charity calm because we did a version of this with polar bear and with J- joshua Edehan. and was moose on there as well i can't remember who else was on there doing more perspectives and more angles Oh no, did we do angles? We No, we did a version of angles that had more poo. I can't remember. But yeah, it meant a lot and it was a tough one. And it's meant, it's the reason, it's part of the reason I'm so active on social media. Because when this came out, I felt a responsibility to really keep a good eye on my comments, on my messages. Because I knew I'd written, I found, or I found out quite quickly, I'd written a piece that connected with people in a very deep and personal and important way that then without realizing I felt gave me a responsibility to keep an eye on on some of those people and I've had some mad ones over the years man um I told the story on another podcast and I'll tell it here there was a point where on Twitter you if you uploaded a photo if you did it wrong It'd do that thing where when you remember when you used to get a photo message and it'd say you have a photo message from and then the phone number and then you click it and you can see it. Well, I did that once, which meant my phone number went out on Twitter for a bit and I got rid of it quickly, but it meant I had a day or two of just people texting or whatever else. And I'd play down, I'd say it's not me or whatever, or I wouldn't respond at all. But I remember I was at, I was at the Welcome Club, a working man's club in Stanford with my partner at the time and and her parents, and I kept getting a phone call from this number. And I was like, I'm going to go outside and take this. And I went outside, and it was a, a young lad, and he was like, is this Scroobius Pip? And I was like, no, this is his brother. And that was my kind of thought at the time, because I didn't want people to have my phone number, so my thought was, oh, I've answered now, but I'll claim I'm my brother. So I'd, said, I'd sent the tweet from my, my, my brother's phone, and that's why it went wrong. So like, no, it's his brother. And he was like, all right, well, I think it is. I like, no, it's not, it's his brother. And then he said, look, I just wanted to ring you to let you know that um, a month or so ago, I wanted to kill myself. And someone played me your track, Magician's Assistant, and I decided not to. And it's given me this month, but I've decided tonight that I'm stuttering because this is a weird story to tell. I've decided tonight that I'm gonna I'm gonna take my life, but I just wanted to thank you for extending it. And obviously, I had to drop all pretense then. And I was like, "Look, again, I'm not an expert on any of these things." So I tried to talk. I tried to. I won't go into any more detail than that 
but we talked a bit. I recommended the Samaritans because, again, I think you should talk to experts on these things. As, again, I say I keep an eye on my messages, but it's more to say, look, here's people you, you, that, that you can talk to because I've not got the answers. And I spoke to this kid and it ended and I kind of said, well, you know, I hope hope you change your mind, man. And then um, that was that. And the next week I went back on tour and I knew the area he was f- from. So when we were in that area we did magician's assistant and i dedicated it to him and i said his first name i don't want to give a lot of details and um, i had a message after the gig from a few of his mates who were there um, and they said to say thank you and to pass on the thanks from him because he was at the gig and he had decided against it in the moment i don't know any he might have tried i don't know but he was there um and yeah that's what comes from again it's it's fucking songs it's entertainment isn't it it's throwaway it's a bit of fun but there's a lot more going on in these in these experiences so yeah i didn't that wasn't a story i expected to tell let's get on to my worst opening line ever Not that, I like that. And that, actually, I like the verse. Now, this is an interesting one, because if you're a regular on listener to this and hardcore listing, you'll know that Chris often brings this up as a song that I hate. And I don't, because it was a live favourite. That's the reason it made it onto the album. There's just the opening line is terrible, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I used to love this, partly because it's the one that got Moose Rockwonga's respect. Moosa Okwonga is a mate of mine. I'm going to have him on the podcast if he hasn't been on already when this comes out. He heard this and was impressed because of my my double time and my speed switches and flow switches. So, And the crowd would always go nuts for it because it was that up-tempo thing. And I'm fine with the, when I get back from hell again, I'm going to be so, so elegant, the relevance of my benevolence is evident but it's the opening line that is the cringiest shit although as we found out on the no commercial breaks one i've written cringier stuff i've just forgotten about it let's go let's go into it repeat it a lot yep repeat it a lot this this could have been a minute shorter I'm sentimental. Oh no, I mean I'm said to be mental. When I don't get what I want, I find it's hard just to be gentle. Um, that's fucking dog shit. I'm said to be mental. That's like the guy who says, oh, I'm a bit crazy. You'll love me. I'm a bit crazy. I'm a bit wacky. Um, also, the, the, the when I don't get what I want, I find it hard not to be gentle. You can tell that I'm just out of the period where I'm living at my mum's house in my bedroom and when I've got my teenage angst I'm I'm, I'm, I'm punching a hole in the wall um, more because I've seen it in films than I've actually got any any anger I'm not that guy at all but I was obviously I still had the, the echoes of that str- struggling to deal with emotions as, me, as many men 
in the society that we've built have. Um, but yeah, that is a dog shit first line. I won't hear otherwise. I'm sentimental. Oh no, I mean I'm said to be mental. But because of that, again, Chris and the hardcore listing lot just warp r- r- reality. But because of that, they're like back from hell fucking piece of shit song pip hates it you can think it's a piece of shit song but i like it and it was i said it was a good one for live because they'd go they'd go nuts but there's a tempo change somewhere where is it oh that's it I mean, hearing it now, I think it sounds appallingly sloppy as fuck, but it was exciting at the time. I was new. I was learning. Um, let's go go on t- to the song that really changed it all. There we go. It's it's thou shalt always kill. Um, what more can I say that hasn't been said before? Uh, it changed everything, man. The original version that was on MySpace, um, I recorded in that bedroom at my mum's house. I recorded the vocal. It was a spoken word piece I'd been playing with live. It was it was a good a live tool more than anything because I had the the marker. Points. I had the bit set in place, but I could add a thou shout about something that happened in the news today, about anything that was topical to get that laugh or that pop or that deep moment. Um, so it felt like I had this structure. Here's the main commandments that I'm going to put in, and then here's these ones I can add. I added the thou shall not leave after thou shall not attend an open mic and leave after you've done your shitty little poem or song, you self righteous prick, because of a night. Um, Poetry Unplugged, or was it Nilo Sullivan's night um, at the Poetry Cafe, and this guy had sat there kind of huffing for the whole thing, and then he got up and read, he was a a posh lad, I'm always against him, he'd got up and read a thing that he'd converted, he'd translated from Latin, it wasn't even his, and he got up and read it, and then he left, and I was up next, I think, and a lot of people had noticed him because he'd been quiet, excuse me, what time am I going to be on? Because you just you get on when you're called up in that place, and yeah, I added that thou shall not leave after you've done your shitty little poem or song, you self righteous prick, and it went down a treat, and that made it into that. But yeah, I'd written it, and then Dan sent me this beat, and we know that I returned it in something like an hour and forty eight or something, because it was the length of time it takes to watch the forty year old virgin. Because Dan sent me the beat. And then I loved it, and I had this song that I was working with, and I, I went up to my room and got my mic set up. I gaffer taped a microphone to a stepladder. I put three mattresses around each other, like with towels, to make this fake booth, and I recorded the vocal. Came up with the Just A Band bit just there, because it had a break. It fitted the track. I felt I can't just keep doing the list, because there's clearly this this gap. And I, I sent it back to Dan, and the rest, as they say, is history. And the, the just a band bit was I wanted to list bands, purely bands that had a r- r- ravenous and f- fanatic followers, in a good way or a bad way. Heart, 
most of the bands on there I love. Some of them I think are all right. I don't think there's any on the list that I hate. But um, yeah, then we uploaded it to MySpace and then the world went crazy. John Kennedy played it on XFM, then Rob the Bank played it on Radio 1, then Zane Lowe made it his hottest record in the world on Radio 1, then Joe Wiley played it, then all these people played it, and it just it became... It was it got playlisted, or someone made it their track of the week, which meant every show had to play it. So it was just getting played everywhere constantly, and it became this thing. We shot the video for 300 quid, that we borrowed because we didn't have it. I think it was 300 quid. It might have been 600, but we borrowed it. Nick Frood directed it. We shot it all around Barbican in one day or maybe two days. I think it was one day. And yeah, it changed everything. It meant we went and played in Japan and we got nominated for an MTV award in Japan. It's what got the attention of Sage Francis, who signed us to Strange Famous, who are my favourite indie rap label or rap label in general in america and they put our records out and gave me two of my favorite people in the world in in b dolan and sage francis and yeah it meant that labels were kind of fighting for us and we got offers of over 100 grand from major labels and then we we got rid of our manager because we didn't like him and we signed with sunday best for a very small amount of money because we liked them and they they got it and we liked Rob the Bank and Sarah and uh, and everyone, Julian, all that crowd. Yeah, man, I changed it all. Uh, we grew to hate it at points. It was our least favourite song because Dan on the production side didn't think it was his best work. I didn't think it was my best work lyrically. It was throwaway. I, s- I said it was a tool to use i liked it but it was good at spoken word gigs because i could adapt it and adjust it so it felt like the whole thing had been freestyled when really it was a structure as freestylers do it was a structure that had room for flourishes to make it appear like it's off the dome and yeah it changed it all it it got us our three album deal and we did three albums it's our most watched video on youtube yeah it's, it's it's where most people heard us first. Most people who came to all of our tours over the years, all those things heard us first. It's also the thing that put us in some people's minds in the area of novelty. Um, and I like to think that even if they think that, we can argue that quite succinctly with our body of work, our career, the touring that we did, the the things that we did over the years. But um, yeah. That was the one man. Now, the last track on the album, there's also a bonus track, so I might cover that. Another one that meant the world, because again, it was a weird one. We put it at the end because it's long and we couldn't really put it anywhere else. Dan made this beat and it blew my mind. I remember I was flat sitting for my dad. I think I might have... I either wrote it in his, in his living room or I recorded it in his living room. I was flat sitting for my dad who didn't live at home with me and my mum. And I either wrote it or recorded it there. And let's, let's start it. It's, it's called Waiting for the Beat to Kick In, and it's weird. Suddenly I step up with a subversive subject Trying to feed the need for more than just remedial subjects 
have faith in the belief that the general public will open up their minds to more than just an industry puppet. I ain't a preacher preaching doom and gloom. We're not just shit. If there's something I feel strongly about, then I'll discuss it. And if I only make one album before I kick the bucket, I'll put that album to behind my grave and say, fuck it. Waiting for the bit to kick in, but it never does. Waiting for my feet to grow wings, then if me about. Now that is something I haven't heard in so long because we consciously never played this live. This was the most requested song live and we we never played it in in large part because it's an 11-minute song. It's it's almost 12 minutes. It's 11 minutes 38. It doesn't fit nicely into a live set. Um, particularly like when you're starting off and you've got half hour sets or 45 minute sets, that's like a third of your set. Um, so yeah, we never played it live. So after we recorded it, I didn't hear it much. Like I was excited at that intro because I don't remember it at all. I remember a few of the lines along the way because that intro was a closing statement. We had the opening statement at the beginning of the beat of my heart skipped and we had the closing statement and the closing statement was based on the fact I wrote this after Thou Shout had blown up and we were looking at labels and it was to say, look, we're going to make our record because again, we made our record, the the bulk of it and then took it out to labels rather than go after Thou Shout and get A&R'd and told to make a record that people think, that they think will work. We wanted to make our record a win or lose. And that's what that opening bit's about. Hang on. I love that beat as well. There we go. Um, yeah, so that was, was saying exactly that. I was like, look, we're going to make our record. And if it means that we can't make another record, then cool. We can't make another record. But we made what we thought was worth. And again, it turned out we we got to have a whole career out of it. Um, the song goes on to be kind of a dream. And a lot of people know this, a lot don't. It's all based upon the fact I love films and TV and TV was referred to as the idiot box for a long time and I feel that if the art form made and put on there is good enough then you can learn as much as you can from a novel or connect as much as you can from a novel so I walk along and meet different characters from different films I meet Elwood P. Dowd from Harvey I meet Billy Brown from Buffalo 66 I meet Lloyd Dobler from Say Anything and from Double Indemnity. I can't remember the name. Let me see if I can get to it. Oh, no, I've turned the volume down, I think. You think it's a great positive oh. work. Well, I'm afraid I'm here to bring you back down to earth so you can live your life walking down the street, hands in his pockets, hurrying away. Now, quite except for the totally surreal time I was having, I rounded the corner and continued on to my next encounter. Resigned to the fact this was some kind of dream or hallucination, I made my way through the now dark street to the one window that had a light on. I walked through the unlocked door, which incidentally had blinds down and a silhouetted figure like a film noir scene, but sadly no sign saying private eye. As I entered, a voice promptly said, 
This journey's almost over. I'm the only one left. Allow me to... Walter Neff from Double Indemnity. Incidentally, there was a few bits of delivery there that were peak Musa Rockwonga. Again, Musa was... He used to be a spoken word artist and... I adore him. I was such a fan of him as a human and as an artist. He's now a writer and I adore him just as much. But yeah, a few of the pauses there just made me think, oh, you were just hanging out with Musa at that stage or idolising the dude. Um, so yeah. So it isn't 11 minutes. It's just there's a load of silence at the end that turns into reading my dreams, I see. So... It's still, it's still like a seven-minute song. And then it goes in to reading my dreams. Have I told you enough about that? I think so. That wraps it all up nicely, right? It, yeah, I, I'm I'm really proud of that song as a completely non-commercial, long rambly story. And then we have a bonus hidden track that's about <laughs> about giving a girl a massage, isn't it? Over a beat that Dan originally wrote for a mate's parents' funeral. I mean, <laughs> we can't do anything but end it there. That's got to be the place to end it. There we go. R- reading my dreams is about giving a girl a massage after sh- she's had a long walk day, and, th- and then it gets sexy. There's a line in there I nicked, I nicked off Vincent Oliver. I adjust to rest on her sweet bust, I think it was. No, I adjust to rest on her sweet chest. Or something like that. And he had it in one of his songs. I was a big fan of Vincent Oliver and Nathan Fake, who were also in that Reading scene with Dan Lassac. And in one of his songs, he had a line that said, I adjust to rest on her sweet bust or something like that. I adjust to rest on her sweet chest. And then I added, and to her torso more so. Or did he add that originally? And on her torso more so. That might have been Vincent as well. And I grabbed that. I asked him and he said, that's fine. And yeah, it's a sexy song about giving a sexy massage to a girl. <laughs> and it's over a beat, as said, that Dan Lassac was asked to make some music to be played in the background at a friend of his parents, I think it was a parent or uncle, um, at their, 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 their funeral. And Dan sent it to me and I said, oh, that's sexy. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad it was a hidden track because the best way to end that album is is waiting for the beat to kick in. Maybe not the best way is with a, 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 a sexy little thing. Just to wrap things up, there's the bonus tracks. A first time we met music, which was a demo, it was a popular live one. I had a song called First Time I Met Music. Dan did a beat. He originally did a beat sampling a band called Cats and Cats and Cats, and that beat was amazing, and then we couldn't get it cleared, so we did another version. And the Thou Shalt Always Kill Daylight edit, which blew our mind that we got to work with Posta News from, from De La Soul. And we did press with him and he talked about what he liked about Thou Shout and Dan's production and me as a lyricist. And he said that our style reminded him of like the skits and stuff on Three Feet High and Rising because we were doing YouTube skits and stuff at that point as well. And we did a fake X Factor audition and we did a, a record store thing. So yeah, that was mad to get to fuck about with a, a legend like Posta Noose. And still chat every now and then now. I need to get him on the podcast. So, yeah, there we go. That is Angles. Hope you enjoyed that. As I said, it's a bit of a different vibe and format to the regular episodes, but I enjoy doing them. I will be doing one for... What's that second album called? The Logic of Chance. And one for Repent, Replenish, Repeat. 
But for now, if you enjoyed this and want more of this kind of thing, go back and listen to the Distraction Pieces Behind the Album. If you just search Distraction Pieces Behind the Album, it will it should bring up the No Commercial Breaks one, the Distraction Pieces one, and this one. But um, yeah, there we go. That album changed it all, man. And mad love to Dan Lassac for the journey that we started, kind of unintentionally. We didn't plan any of it. It was a MySpace page that held our remixes, and it became bigger. The the sum of our parts became bigger than the individual um, parts. And we stumbled into like a... It was still only a six- or seven-year career from beginning to, to, to end, I think. But, man, did we cram a lot in and get to experience a lot. So, yeah. W- wicked. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. I've enjoyed that. Um, see you in a bit. been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was the first one. I hope you enjoyed it and got some interesting insights. I'll keep the outro short. Um, as mentioned in the intro, go have a look at Dan Lassac on socials, on Patreon, and his podcast, Falling F- Forward. They're all, all really good places to go and have a, a snoop about. I'll be back on Wednesday where I'll be doing the the behind the album of the logic of chance and then on friday we'll be doing the behind the album of repent replenish repeat the logic of chance one had some really surprising things kind of pop into my memory as i was recording that so i think you'll enjoy that one as did as did obviously repent but there was a particular bit on the logic of chance one where you'll be surprised the kind of two or three influences that then became a specific song of ours yeah, it's an interesting one. I'd forgotten that they were the kind of things that that were in my mind when we were in the creative process. Anyway, I'll see you on Wednesday. Stay safe. Stay sane. Stay... <sighs> sartorial. Stay strange. And above all else, please, stay sexy. Ta-ta.